Masechet Nedarim Daf Samech Aleph. The Mishnah that we began yesterday in the beginning of the eighth pedic was about someone who makes a vow for a certain time period, like he says today or this year or for one year. Uh, the maximum amount of time we saw in the Mishnah was for a Shemitah, what we call the Shavua, seven years. But now we're going to ask, what about a, a, a Yovel? This is actually going to be a very important suga about how to define a Yovel, whether it's 49 years or every 50 years. So we ask, If a person says, I prohibit myself from tasting wine for a Yovel, and even though the language here is a Yovel, which we were talking about um, yesterday, if he says, uh, a a day or a year, and that was unclear. It's, um, we're not we're, we're not dealing with that. It's clear it's clear that the person means for this yovel. So he's he's uh, standing sometime in the middle of the yovel in the whatever twentieth year, thirtieth year doesn't matter, and he says, "I'm not going to have wine for the rest of this jubilee." Well, what does that mean? Is the 50th year, after you count seven times seven, is that like what came before it? And throughout that 50th year, the person also would be prohibited. And according to this opinion, um, a ju every jubilee is a full 50 years. So 10 jubilees would be 500 years. In other words, you start counting one after the 50th year. That's option number one. Or is the, is the 50th year considered going in, starting already the next cycle? In other words, the 50th year is equal to the first year of the next Shemitah. To say that differently, every, every jubilee is actually only 49 years, so 10 jubilees would be 490 years. And that year, the 50th year, doubles, does double duty, it's the capstone of the previous 49 years, but also is year number one of the next Jubilee. Because it's year number one of the next uh, cycle, therefore one would be permitted to have um, wine during that year. So that is the question. Uh, we'll try to answer it. Tashima, detanya, pelukta, derebiu, david abanan. Actually, this will depend on a machloket between two tanaim. As, as we'll see in this Bedaita. It says that you should sanctify the 50th year. All right, good. So what does that mean? You sanctify the 50th year by counting that, towards it, and that is counted as the 50th year only. You do not count it as the 50th year and also the first year of the next cycle. You cannot use it for double duty. Rather, you count 7 times 7, 49 years, a 7 Shemitot. So that 49th year will be a Shemitah year, you can't work the land. And the next year will be the 50th year, which is the Yovel year, and also you cannot work the land. And that's at 50. Then that ends the Yovel, that's sanctified. And the year year 51 is when you, start, when you will start the next cycle. So we learn from here that the Yovel does not count towards a Shemitah, does not do double duty. You're going to have the seventh year of the seventh cycle. It will be a Shemitah year. Then you'll have a Yovel, the 50th year. That Yovel does not count as year number one for the next one. Instead, the next year, 51 years later, that will be number one of the next Yovel cycle. So we see according to Rabbanan, 
they certainly will count the 50th year as uh, the continuation of what came before. And so if a person in the middle of the, uh, of the cycle says, I'm not going to have wine until, uh, uh, for this Yovel, then they would be prohibited from having wine even throughout that 50th year. However, the Biuda Omer, Yovel Oleli Minyan Shavua, the Biuda disagrees and he thinks that that 50th year counts double duty. It's the 50th year of the previous cycle and it's also year number one of the next cycle, which means altogether there's only 49 years um, for each cycle. And so 10 Yovdim would be 490. Therefore, because the Yovel counts as year number one for the next cycle, uh, that year would not be included in the prohibition of his vow. Um, we continue in the, the Baraita with a discussion between these two sages. Amru lo the 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 sages, the majority, tell the biuda harehu omer shesh shanim tizra sadecha ven kan elachamesh. The biuda, you have a problem because the Torah says you should work your field for six years. Is permitted only on the Shemitah, then you're not allowed. But according to you, in the first Shemitah of the Yovel cycle, the first year is a Yovel year in which you cannot uh, work the land, and therefore you can only work the land in years two, three, four, five, and six. That's only five years, because then the seventh year is Shemitah again. And so according to you, you're going to have a difficulty with this pasuk that says you always, always learn, uh, work the land for six years. And so according to us, that makes sense. We count 50 years. Then we start another cycle with another year one. And so it's always six years of work followed by the Shemitah. Amar lehen, Biuda has a good answer though. Ledivrechem, hare omer ve'asat et ha-tevu'ah lishlosh shanim, hare kan arba'ah. Yeah, but the Pasuk also says that don't worry about not having, not working the land during the Shemitah year. Hashem says, I'm going to guarantee that you'll have enough food for three years. Now, why need three years if you're not working the land for one year? Well, because in the sixth year, you need enough food that will last you during the sixth year, which is what you normally will eat during the sixth year. And you need extra that you can eat during the seventh year. And you're also going to need extra because at the beginning of the eighth year, you don't have anything that you uh, planted during the seventh year that you'll be able to reap during the eighth year. So the Shemitah, um, you know, causes uh, an interruption, um, not only for that own year, but also for the next year. Therefore, the sixth year crop has to yield you triple to take care of the third, fourth, uh, the, the, to ta- triple to take care of the sixth, seventh, and the eighth year. But here's Rabbi Uda's question. According to you, rabbis, um, actually, every Yovel, you're going to have a situation where you need it to last for four years because you have in the last cycle of the Shemitah, you're going to have the Shemitah and then the Yovel, back-to-back years that you don't work the land. So the sixth year of that cycle, um, well, you'll have to, will have to grow enough for that sixth year, for that Shemitah, uh, which is the 49th year, for the Yovel, which is the 50th year, and it's going to have to produce more to give you a head start on the uh, the 51st year, which is the first of the new cycle in which you didn't plant anything. So you're going to need actual four years. And the Torah doesn't say that you'll get grain for three or four years. 
אלא איכא לוקמא בשעה שני שבוע, תלינמא איכא לוקמא בשעה שני שבוע. So Rabbi Yudah says, I know how you're going to answer it. This pasuk is talking about most of the time, six out of seven cycles. You only need for, for three years. And that's what the Torah is talking about. It's not talking about the unusual case. And that unusual case, once out of seven years, yeah, then you'll get enough for four years. So I would say, so you, that's what you'll have to say. I'll explain my pasuk all the same way, the one that you challenged me with, and says for six years you work the land. Oh, but what about this only five? That's what I was talking about most years, right? In six out of seven cycles, there are six, six years in which you can work the land. And during that one cycle, uh, the Torah is not mentioning that. Although it would be true, according to my count of the Biudah, uh, in one out of the seven cycles, there would only be five years of work. All right, so we leave that without a conclusion. And now we go back to the Mishnah that said, Ad Pesach Asur. If a person says, I'm not going to do any work until Pesach, then that means until Pesach starts, right? Right, Ed of Pesach would be the last day that he can't drink wine. Uh, the Mishnah went on and, and said, if a person says, Ad Lifne Pesach, I'm not going to drink wine until Lifne, whatever that means, that's, a, that's ambiguous language and subject to a machloket. Rabbi, Rabbi Meir says, it still remains the beginning of Pesach, is when, uh, that's what he means, Ad Lifne Pesach means before Pesach starts. Whereas the Biyose uh, uh, in the Mishnah says, no, you have to wait till the end of Pesach, right? And uh, the Lifne, um, may, it's possible that it means Lifanot to, the, well, to when Pesach uh, turns away, when it ends, until before, maybe you meant before the end of Pesach. This language is not clear. Okay, so that's Machloket. So let's um, analyze the principle behind their Machloket. The principle behind it seems to be that, according to the Bimeir, a person would not place himself in a position of uncertainty. In other words, when you first make the vow, uh, we assume that people are going to what they mean when they take the vow is the minimum possible interpretation, right? The one that is for sure, he means, right, it's for sure from now until Pesach starts, for sure that's included. And the person would not want any ambiguous case to be included because a person doesn't want to put himself in an uncertain situation, right? No one is going to want to say, um, I'm prohibited uh, for wine um, if, you know, some uh, galaxy... Uh, exists uh, in the ed at the edge of the universe. That's an uncertain thing. You don't want to put a vow on yourself that you don't know whether it applies or not. And so uh, we assume that a person, uh, if it's ambiguous, we assume that a person means the minimum interpretation. And that's why in this case, when he says until before Pesach, he means until before Pesach starts, because that is unambiguous. Does Pesach, is Pesach included? That is not clear, so a person, we assume, has and does not have that in mind. Whereas Rabbi Yosef says, sometimes people aren't careful about what they say and what they think, and people sometimes do put themselves in positions of uncertainty. All right, I'll take a vow if um, uh, that, that was a person who I thought it was, but the person walked away already, and so there's no way to check. So yeah, sometimes people do that. They do foolish things. And so uh, Rabbi Yosef says, then we have to give a maximum interpretation since, uh, um, uh, uh, since the words until Lifne Pesach can mean until before Pesach ends. 
So we have to assume the maximum interpretation that includes any doubt, that covers any doubt, because the person, maybe he did put himself into a position of uncertainty. All right, so that's what seems, that seems to be the principles behind their two opinions in our Mishnah. But we're going to show a contradiction from another Mishnah in Kiddushin. What mean he? Okay, well, his would be me as opinion. We're going to see the video says opinion. There's an interesting case of a, a, a man who has two daughters from his first wife. And let's say she died, and then he has two more daughters with a second wife, right? The two the two daughters from the first wife are older than both of the daughters of, from the second wife. And now he does kiddushin uh, to, and he says bitiha gedola, my oldest daughter. But then he doesn't remember what exactly he had in mind. Um, maybe he sent a messenger and said, Don't go do Kiddushin for Biti Hagedola. And he went and did something, but he's not around. And the guy doesn't remember what did he mean by Biti Hagedola. It could have three possible valid interpretations. Um, uh, if, uh, maybe, maybe I meant the oldest of the oldest set. All right, the oldest of them all, that definitely could be. She was for sure going to be prohibited uh, to marry someone else. Or maybe it me, I meant the older of the younger set, right? She's also the oldest because she's, the, uh, she's older than her sister. So that would be the third born. Or maybe I meant the younger of the older set. When I said, I meant my daughter from the older set. Uh, and so that would be the second uh, born, and uh, it would be the one. So uh, she could because she's the old. She she's older than uh, even the older of the younger ones of the younger set because she's second. She is older than three and four. So relatively, she is hagedola, even though uh, she does have someone older than her. Well, since it has all these possible meanings, we have to assume that all of them are prohibited. And if they any any of them want to get married, they're going to have to get a get from that guy, um, according to the Bimeir. And the only one who we know is okay is the younger of the younger set. The fourth born is for sure okay because there's no possibility that Hagedola is referring to her. Now that's the opinion of Rabbi Meir. So you see, this is actually a maximum interpretation. And we see that Rabbi Meir is following the principle that a person sometimes does put himself in a position of uncertainty. And since when he said that, he's not sure what he said. Well, we have to we have to worry. Maybe he he said something ambiguous, and maybe he meant the un, an uncertain, a, an ambiguous interpretation of it. And uh, so we have to take into account even that uncertainty and assume the maximum. However, the Biyoseh Kulan Mutarot disagrees, and he says all the other three are permitted to marry anyone they want. The only one who has a problem is daughter number one, the oldest from of the older set. You see here that the Biyose is following the, uh, the method of a person, we assume, does not put himself into a, into a situation of uncertainty. And therefore, when he said, I want my oldest daughter to be married, 
um, he, you know, he he told a guy you can marry Bitiha Gedola. So he was he was marrying off and giving permission to daughter number one, because a person would not put himself into a into a situation of uncertainty. So therefore, he must have meant the certain case, which is only number one. That's what Abiyo say here, but now that contradicts because Abiyo say in our Mishnah was the one who went with the maximum interpretation that includes uncertainty. So how are we going to resolve this? He says, switch around the opinions in our Mishnah here in Nedarim. And so that, therefore the Biyose is consistent. The Biyose says that we take with that, we do the minimum interpretation in both cases, and therefore it's actually the Biyose who says that you could, the vow stops at the beginning of Pesach. And the Bimeir, he's the one that says you take the maximum interpretation, daughters 1, 2, and 3 are all prohibited, and in Arak Mishnah, he will say that you are prohibited from wine until the end of Pesach. And in fact, we have a Braita that backs us up. Vatanya zeakilal kavua amar ad lifne. Braita teaches that here is a general rule. Anytime you have something that has a fixed time period, right, has a, a particular date, uh, we know the beginning and end of this event, and he says, until before it, I will not have wine. The Bimeir says that means, well, that's ambiguous. So, you know what that means? Until the end, until that event finishes. And the Bimeir says, until it begins. So we see that this Badaita supports the answer that we should flip around the uh, opinions in our Mishnah. And that way we have resolved the problem. Very good. Next Mishnah. Ad hakasir, ad habasir, ad hamasik, eno asur ela ad sheyagia. You know how the Eskimos have fifty words for snow. Uh, the Hebrew has a lot of words for harvesting. So kasir means harvesting grain. Basir is harvesting grapes, and masik is harvesting olives. Person says, "I will be prohibited from drinking wine until." The harvesting of the grain. Well, was that the beginning or the end? The person is prohibited only until the beginning of the of that season. Uh, this is good. We have this klal, so we already introduced to another ver- of a similar version of it here in the Braita. Anything that has a fixed date, a fixed beginning and a fixed end, and the person says, until that event uh, uh, occurs, then he's going to be prohibited until it, it arrives, uh, right, right at the beginning of it. If he says, until it is, right, until that event happens, then that's asur ad That means he has to wait till the end of the event. Um, and that would be the principle here. Ad hakasir means until the beginning of it. Vechol she'en zemano kavua ben amar ad sheyeh ben amar ad sheyagia eno asur ela ad sheyagia. However, that only applies if it's a fixed date. Then he says, well, if he says ad sheyeh, that means till uh, then that means till the event finishes, until the event happens, meaning it uh, finishes happening. But if it's something that does not have a fixed time period. Uh, meaning we don't know how long it's going to take until it ends. A person says, I'm not going to have wine until I study calculus. Well, how long is it going to take you to study calculus, right? I don't know, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years. 
And so in that case, whether he says uh, the words until it or whether he says until it arrives, is only he only is it prohibited until it arrives. So when the person starts studying calculus, he's only prohibited from now until he starts studying calculus. We can't we, we can't make a vow dependent on something that does not have a fixed end date um, because then it's too open ended. Now, the Mishnah continues and says, Ad ha-kaitz, ad ha-kaitz, ad she-yatchilu ha-am lechnis bechalkatlot, ad she-yavor ha-kaitz, ad she-yakpilu ha-maksuot. person says, I'm not going to have wine until until the kites. Kites actually has two meanings in Hebrew that are related. It can mean summer, as we say in modern Hebrew. It also means figs. It has the same meaning because um, in the late summer, that's when the figs were harvested. Uh, so if he says, I'm not going to have wine until the kites, or until it will be kites, um, uh, then he is prohibited until the people begin uh, bringing their baskets um, to and filling them up with uh, with figs and bringing it into their houses, because uh, that, that, in other words, the harvest is now well underway, and so that's uh, that's what we assume he means. Um, however, uh, until if he says until the kites is is uh, finished. Well, when is it finished, right? There's, there's a lot of stages where you start it. You start it, um, you, you know, the, the major act activity. Um, was, well, just when you start cutting, the major activity of uh, bring uh, of uh, bring bring collecting them and bring into your house. But there's also a little, always a little bit left uh, to do out in the field. So if he says until kaiits is set aside is over, well then that then he's prohibited until a later date until they fold up the knives. Other people say the mats, the mats that they would put under the fig tree to collect. So in other words, when it's totally, you finished cutting even the very last of the figs until it's totally over. And so it makes a difference. Um, so Adekaitz means until the major event of bringing into the, uh, bring the baskets in until it's finished means when you're really totally finished and you put away your tools into storage. Tana. Abraita says when we talk about here the kalkalot, the, the baskets, we're talking about baskets of figs, not of grapes. Since he said the kites, and kites means the summer when the major thing that's harvested is figs. So then you just have to, you're prohibited until the fig baskets are brought into the house and you don't have to worry about the olives, which are harvested a little bit later. Tanya. Another Braita says something similar, according to the Chachamim, is someone who says, I am prohibited from the fruits of Kaitz. What, what are fruits of Kaitz? Well, the major thing you're harvesting in the summer are the figs. So then he's prohibited only from eating figs. Instead of saying figs, he says the fruits of the summer. Um, but in Hebrew, it's even a clo closer relationship because kites also means figs. So that's obvious. He's talking about figs only, according to Tanakama. However, uh, Rashbag says, no, grapes are also included because grapes are also, the uh, beginning of the harvest is also in the summer. And so that is included. Okay, what's my Tanakama? What's their machloket about? Tanakama thinks kasabar tenim mikasesan bida anavim lamikasesan bida. He says they're fundamentally different. Even if there's some overlap in the time, 
figs you cut by hand, grapes you don't pluck them by hand, right? But you use other tools, you shake, uh, you shake the, um, the vines, and so these are fundamentally different, right? Kaits from the language of to cut, liktsots. So these are different, does not include grapes. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel Sabad anavim name ki mira dedan mikasesan bida. However, Dashbag says, no, it's not, it, although usually you're right, but that's not necessarily true. Grapes also, when they are ready, when they're ripe, also sometimes they are plucked by hand. And so therefore you can also refer to grapes as the perot of kaits. There is overlap in the time period and there's even uh, overlap in the way that you um, pluck them off by hand and therefore they would also be prohibited if someone says I am prohibited from the fruits of kaits. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.